This evening we're going to consider rebellion against the Lord and against his Christ. Rebellion against the Lord and his Christ. We're looking at the whole of Psalm 2. Psalm 2, verses 1 through to 12. Many of the Psalms tell us who wrote them in the information given in the superscript, the little bit of writing at the very top of the Psalms. For example, if you look at the beginning of Psalm 3, you'll see that it's a Psalm of David. Couldn't be easier, could it? Psalm of David. But that's not always the case. Sometimes you have to do a bit of detective work. For example, the Psalm that we're going to consider this evening, Psalm 2, says nothing about who wrote it at the top of the psalm. The answer is nevertheless given to us in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 4, verse 24 through to 26. Let me read those verses to you. Acts chapter 4, verse 24. And when they, they being the apostles, heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. Listen carefully now. Who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, then the apostles start to quote Psalm 2 and they quote Psalm 2 verses 1 and 2 when they say, why did the heathen rage? And the people imagined vain things. The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. So we can be left in no doubt whatsoever. When we we, we see it in the inspired word in Acts of the Apostles that Psalm 2 is yet another Psalm of David. Who lived a thousand years or so before the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world. The the undiscerning eye might see Psalm 2 as being about King David himself. We've just established that King David wrote the psalm and people might think that he wrote about himself. For example, when we look at verses 1 through to 3, it might be said to be about the opposition of kings and leaders and people generally towards the Lord and his anointed King David. And verses 4 through to 6 might be said to be about all the efforts of the enemies of God to frustrate God's plan to install David as king and those plans coming to nothing. And that's precisely what happened after all. For example... It's written in 2 Samuel, chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. And the king, that's King David, and the king and his men went to Jerusalem unto the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, which spake unto David, saying, Except thou take away the blind and the lame, thou shalt not come in hither, thinking David cannot come in hither. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. The same is the city of David. And you can see that the Lord, um, the Lord 
gave David the victory there. He did indeed take the city of Zion, Jerusalem, although the Jebusites, they had different ideas at the time. The thing is that if you insist that the Lord's anointed is King David, you're going to run into difficulties or you're going to have to ignore certain verses, such as verse 8. Look at Psalm 2 and verse 8. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. It simply is not the case that the Lord gave King David the uttermost parts of the earth for his possession. If at the beginning you didn't already know who the Lord's anointed is, in Psalm 2, verse 1, where we read, Why do the heathen rage, and the people imagine a vain thing? And then verse 2, The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. If you hadn't already worked this one out, you probably won't be surprised to work out or for me to tell you rather, that the anointed is the Lord Jesus Christ. How about we spend our time looking at Psalm 2 with the understanding that the Lord's anointed is not King David, but he is King Jesus. So we'll read verses 1 through to 3 again. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. If you were paying attention earlier when I was reading from Acts of the Apostles, chapter 4, verses 24 through to 26, if you're paying attention then, listening very carefully. When the apostles quoted Psalm 2 and verse 2, you may have noticed that they referred to the Lord's anointed as his Christ. That's what we have in the New Testament, in Acts of the Apostles, when the apostles refer to Psalm 2. Anointed Christ mean the same thing. It's the same word. But it's interesting to note that the apostles themselves, they use the word Christ. And we can be sure that when they say Christ, they mean the Lord Jesus Christ. When you look at the passage in context, it is about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about King David, where we see the apostles speaking about the Lord and his anointed. We see it to be about the Lord Jesus Christ. So, therefore, as well as certain verses in verse 2, eliminating any thought that the psalm is about King David, such as that verse 8, where the Lord says, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession, we can clearly see that that's, not a reference to David, but rather the Lord Jesus Christ. We are explicitly told in another part of the Bible that it is about King Jesus. It's worth looking again at what the Word of God tells us 
in Acts chapter 4. I'm going to, you might like to read along with me. Acts chapter 4, verse 25 through to 28. Keep your finger in Psalm 2 and turn over the pages to Acts chapter 4. You can see that it's clearly about Jesus. I'm going to take it from verse 25. The Apostle speaking. Who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ for of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. So you can see that in verse 27. It's clearly about Jesus. And so we can't go far wrong if we stick with the inspired comment of the Apostles in Acts chapter 4 for an explanation of those first three verses, which we shall do now. We're going to look a bit more closely at the first three verses of Psalm 2, not forgetting what we've just read in Acts chapter 4, because really the, the Apostles have told us what it's about anyway. And any departure from what they said will mean that I've gone wrong. Psalm 2, verse 1 again. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The heathen are the Gentiles and the people are the Jews. As for the kings of the earth and the rulers, in in, in verse 2 there, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together the apostles apply that to King Herod and the Roman governor Pontius Pilate and the occasion is given by the apostles as being the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and the events that immediately preceded his death at the cross such as his arrest his being brought before the Jewish high priest And before the Jewish council, he's being handed over to Pilate for questioning. Then to Herod, King Herod, and then back to Pilate. Pilate found no cause of death in the Lord Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, the voices of the Jewish chief priests and the people who cried, crucify him, crucify him, prevailed. And Jesus was handed over to the Roman soldiers to be nailed to a wooden cross and put to death. Note that the rebellion is against the Lord and against his anointed in Psalm 2. Any rebellion against the anointed or the Lord Jesus Christ is rebellion against God. You can't separate the two. Any rebellion against the anointed or the Christ is rebellion against God, the Lord God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
as well. As Jesus said in John chapter 5 and verse 23, He that honoureth not the Son, honoureth not the Father which have sent him. Straight away I'm thinking, what does that think about all the other religions of the world? And even even the cults who call themselves Christians, but the, the cults who deny the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. But certainly all the other religions of the world and the cults, they're certainly not honouring the Son, are they? And although they may think that, although they may be very religious and do all sorts of things according to their religion, they do not honour God because they do not honour his anointed or his Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 1 we see the extent of the rebellion, not just of the kings and rulers, but of the people as a whole. With the Gentiles raging, we see why do the heathen rage? The Gentiles are raging there. In other words, they're thronging or assembling tumultuously, like a pack of wolves. And the Jews imagining a vain thing. What they wanted instead of a saviour from sin, was a temporal, earthly conqueror and king to restore their former glory. And that's not what they got in the Lord Jesus Christ. So they received him not. They esteemed him not. They turned their faces from him. They rejected him. And ultimately, they crucified him. What was said by the people from the least to the greatest 2,000 years ago is still being said with the same vehemence today. Looking at verse 3 now. Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Breaking their bands asunder the Lord and his Christ, breaking their bands asunder, casting away their cords from us. That speaks of God's holy laws and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they are seen by the enemies of God to be nothing more than heavy burdens and shackles to be shaken off and broken, cast away and got rid of. Consequently, laws, in order to... In order to break their bands asunder, cast away their cords from us, as the people imagine that they do. What do they do instead? Enact laws which are in violation of God's holy laws. They celebrate detestable practices such as homosexuality and same-sex marriage. God's laws place a duty upon us to love our neighbour as ourselves when considering how that royal law is violated, how people cast their bands asunder, break their bands asunder and cast away their cords. You might think about the various reported atrocities that may or may not have been committed in trouble hotspots in the world, for example, Ukraine. Atrocities that may have been committed by wicked men at the behest of wicked and self-serving world leaders. But you know what? 
You need look no further than your local NHS hospital or abortion clinic where unborn babies are being slaughtered to see how murderous and how rebellious towards God the heart is. Not just the hearts of our leaders, but the hearts of all of mankind, fallen mankind. As the world says, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. We're so busy looking to foreign lands, we don't have to look far at all to see the wickedness of mankind. On our own doorstep. The rebellion against God's laws is such that those who speak up are vilified, silenced and cancelled by a world that does the lusts of the prince of this world, the devil. Consequently, many people say nothing. It's easier, safer to say nothing. Believe you me, I've got many frustrations concerning my own wretchedness. I really have. But I would have to say that my chief frustration with regards not just a few but many other church leaders and many of their churches is the cowardly silence and inaction concerning the ongoing genocide of babies. We're so good at speaking up against atrocities committed elsewhere in the world but when it comes to our own doorstep we say nothing. Still on the subject of church leaders and churches, many are not preaching preaching God's law and they are not calling on people to repent. That's a fact. When you consider that sin is the transgression of God's law and that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is attended by repentance towards God for transgressing or breaking his law, you'll appreciate that those churches have in effect said Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Think about it. That's what they've done. If they're not preaching God's law, the law that brings people to their knees, crying up to heaven for mercy, then they are breaking God's bands asunder and casting away his cords. They're just preaching a social gospel with social Christians, two social Christians. Having considered at least something of the scale of the rebellion of people and their rulers as they reject God's laws and forgiveness of sins through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall now consider God's response. Let's have a look at verses 4 and 5. What does God make of it all? Verse 4, he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. In Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 22, it is written that the Lord sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers. Have you ever seen that verse? I'll say it again. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 22. The Lord sitteth upon the circle of the earth and the inhabitants thereof, the inhabitants of the earth are as grasshoppers. As such, Almighty God sees man for what he is. 
weak, impotent, useless, worthless grasshoppers. And here in Psalm 2 and verse 4, we see the Lord laughing at the grasshoppers. It is a laugh of contempt directed at a world that is hostile towards its maker and sustainer. A world whose rebellious and unbelieving inhabitants, the grasshoppers, will one day assemble before the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ, no longer raging, no longer plotting against him, but bowing down before him as they confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Then they will go away to everlasting punishment, for they have not known God, neither have they obeyed the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verses 6 and 7. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. In verse 6, we see how futile the collective efforts and concerted rebellion against the Lord and against his Christ are. In fact, one might say that everything that the Lord has decreed is going perfectly to plan. For example, the words of verse 7 are quoted in the New Testament in Acts chapter 13 and verse 33. Let's have a look at verse 7 again. I will declare the decree the Lord have said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. That is quoted in Acts of the Apostles, chapter 13, verse 33, in the context of the Lord's Christ being raised up from the grave and being given the sure mercies of God. That speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ taking the throne of David to a heavenly and everlasting level, as can be seen in the prophecy of Isaiah, where it is written of the Lord Jesus Christ, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So there's the context, if you like, of what is being said there in verse 7. It is upon the Lord Jesus Christ being raised from the dead and being highly exalted. In line with that, what we have in Psalm 2, verses 6 and 7, is Jesus highly exalted, seated at the right hand of the throne of God with the glory that he had with his Father before the world was. He having made himself of no reputation when he came down into this dark world of sin to fulfil the law's demands and to redeem with his own precious blood all whom he came to save. Verses 8 and 9. Ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, 
Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. The heathen and the uttermost parts of the earth, in verse 8, they incorporate not only the believing Jews, but also the elect of God from every nation whom God has given to his Son as an inheritance, as a peculiar or special treasure, as his jewels and as the apple of his eye. In other words, you, if you're a Christian. Maybe it's hard to imagine how anyone who has lived each and every single day in rebellion against the Lord and against his Christ could ever be described as the special treasure of the Lord Jesus Christ and the apple of his eye. Do you feel like, Christian, do you feel like you are the special treasure, the peculiar treasure of the Lord Jesus Christ, the apple of his eye. Well, that's the love of God for you, because you are, you are. It's a love. The love of God is a love that is unconditional, and it is best seen at the cross, where the incarnate Son of God shed his blood and laid down his life for rebels. As, as, as we're told, as the Apostle Paul said in, in, to the Roman church, God commendeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for people like you and me, not because we're so wonderful, because of his love. It's the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us and gave us his Son. It's love. Don't imagine it's anything else. As the Apostle Paul said, those words, God commendeth his love to us while we're yet sinners. Christ died for us. Believe these things. It's very humbling to believe these things. To recognise, to appreciate that there's nothing whatsoever that you have given to God or commended yourself to God with for him to love you. And still we read there, verse 8, Ask of me, I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. That is the elect of God from all generations, people chosen before the foundation of the world, to be holy and without blame in God's sight, in his beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, however, is very different, isn't it? Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's potter's vessel. That's certainly not the elect of God. It refers to the enemies of God. That is, all who have never received his Christ as their saviour have never believed on his name. In Revelation chapter 14, such people are described in terms of them being 
the vine of the earth. And the day will come when they will be cast into the great winepress of the wrath of God. Even now the Lord Jesus Christ has absolute power and authority to crush all rebellion against God and to punish all who rise up against him. As indeed he did when in fulfilment of his word, Jerusalem and its temple were, was destroyed by the Roman legions in AD 70. We'll have a look at verses 10 through to 12. Be wise now therefore, O ye kings, be instructed ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. In verses 10 and 11, there is a very strong warning to the kings and the judges. In other words, to those who administer justice to the rulers of the earth. Their appointment is of God and they are his servants. They are answerable to God. But don't imagine those verses exclude you because we see there, verse 10, be wise therefore, O ye kings. Well, I'm not a king. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. That's not me either. I'll switch off now. Not at all. Not at all. Those verses do not exclude you. I say that because ultimately all of us are accountable to our maker, almighty God. Therefore, the warning given applies to all the aforementioned at the beginning of this psalm in the first three verses, to kings, to rulers and to the people. In other words, it applies to everyone. In Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7, it's written, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Therefore, those who despise wisdom and instruction are fools. I'm reading that alongside verse 10 in Psalm 2 there. Be wise now therefore, O ye kings, be instructed, ye judges of the earth. If they will not be instructed, then they're not being wise, they are being fools. You are being fools. I've just told you that the broader application of this is to everyone. That means that Psalm 2 verses 10 and 11 is saying to the kings and the judges of the earth, do not be fools. Serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling. Same applies to everyone. Don't be a fool. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. God is to be had in reverence by all who are about him. He is to be feared. God is a consuming fire. He is not to be trifled with. The Lord Jesus Christ said, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one 
and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon means earthly riches. All who are slaves to earthly riches instead of to the Lord, whether they be kings and judges, corrupt kings, corrupt judges, corrupt rulers of the earth, or they're people who do not fear God generally, though they may rejoice as they count their riches, they are fools. You are a fool if that is you. Just like the rich farmer that Jesus spoke about who had a bumper harvest and so he built bigger barns and said to himself, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, be merry. God said to him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. So there you go, kings, judges of the earth, rich farmers again. Anyone, it could be anyone. Finally, we'll look at verse 12, which is a most solemn instruction and one that must be heeded by everyone and acted upon from the least to the greatest in the world as of the highest priority. Let's have a look again at verse 12. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. The Son has already been seen to be the Lord Jesus Christ, who is now highly exalted, seated at the right hand of the throne of God, having become poor when he came into this world as a sacrificial lamb for the sake of all who repent and trust in him as their saviour from sin and as their Lord. Whoever you are, if you have not already done so, kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish from the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. How often do we hear of the Lord Jesus Christ being angry when his wrath is kindled but a little? It says there in that verse. Kissing the sun means prostrating your heart before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, trusting in him as the one who became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, as the sacrificial Lamb of God, as your sacrifice for sin. Do this without further delay, because Jesus is no ordinary Lamb. We've seen here, kiss the sun, lest he be angry and he perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. As it is written in Revelation chapter 6 concerning the time when Jesus shall come again and judge everyone who has ever lived. This is what we're told. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, that's every slave, every free man, in other words, everyone, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, and by the way, this will be you, if you have not trusted in Jesus, if you have not kissed the sun, they say to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, Hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne 
and from the wrath of the Lamb. I bet you've never seen an angry lamb before. But if you do not kiss the sun, you will see an angry lamb one day. Guaranteed. For the great day of his wrath is come. And who shall be able to stand? And the answer to that is those who have trusted in him for the forgiveness of all their sins. If you haven't already done so, stop being a fool. Quit the rebellion against Almighty God. Forget all this. Let us break their bands asunder. Cast away their cords from us. Kiss the son lest he be angry and ye perish. Repent. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour from sin. Amen.